Thanks, Hans. We're gonna, um, leave your outlines open and your Bibles if you're going to look through it. Um, we get to the last section today of the book of Acts. And I've got to say it's exciting. I'm, I'm quite excited about uh, God sending his message out to the world. So let's pray uh, that God would keep shaping us to see the world through his eyes. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to this section in the book of Acts and this stage of your history, we're so thankful that you have recorded for us what went on that we get to see who you are and we get to respond that that you are the same God and this is the same word we have. So we pray that by your spirit this morning, as we open up these scriptures, you'd shape us, you'd embolden us, you'd encourage us to live for you and to see what it is to live in your world, your way. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the scariest substances on earth to me is actually water. I'm not afraid of a shower. Um, I, I like the shower. Shower's good. I like being clean. Um, but water is one of those substances that, while it doesn't look too bad in small quantities, when it becomes in larger quantities, it's, it's incredibly powerful. Uh, from carving out mountains with glacial ice to washing away anything in its path with a tsunami. Now, even just the tiniest drip of water that keeps dripping can drive you crazy. Have you had that? Our shower does it for some reason. And you can hear it in our ensuite, and we're lying there at night and like drip. Drip. I'm like, ah, I've got to stop it. Water is such a powerful substance. And one of the scariest moments in my life was one where I experienced the power of water. I was stuck in a rip at a beach. I'd been kind of taken out. It was 10-foot waves, and I thought it would be a great place to go bodyboarding. The waves smashed away my board, and I'm there in a rip. I didn't know what way it was up. I was getting tossed around. I'm getting closer to this kind of big outcrop of rocks, and I'm thinking, man, this, this could be it. Until another board rider came and kind of pulled me on and rescued me and took me away. He had flippers. I didn't. But it was a scary situation. Water is so powerful. And in those situations, when you get to experience the kind of power of water, you recognize how powerless we are. If you've come face to face with it yourself, you know water is nothing to be toyed with. And what we see in this last section of the book of Acts is not only an incredible storm, but something even more powerful than the storm that is there that meets Paul on that ship. And what we get to see is that recognizing the one who is more powerful is more vital in life than a a life raft at the beach or being rescued from a rip. So far in the book of Acts, we've been hearing of the history of what happened after Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. In Acts chapter 1, verse 28, we read this, as Luke recorded it, um, of what Jesus said to his, his disciples, his followers. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus made very clear the plans of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit to make Jesus' name known across the whole world. And we've seen over the last 26 chapters, God has done exactly that. We see today, sitting here, that he is still doing that. What is promised here is happening right here and now. And the second half of the book of Acts then catalogues the work of the Apostle Paul, who wasn't always Paul, you remember. We heard last week of him telling his conversion story from terrorist to testifier about Jesus. He met on the road the risen Jesus and was convinced Jesus rose from the dead. He was then commissioned by Jesus to be the apostle to the nations, the one who was sent out to the nations. That's what apostle means, sent one. If you're not Jewish, then Paul is your apostle. He's the one that saw the news of Jesus come out to us non-Jews. 
We've then seen three missionary journeys that Paul takes, taking this news out across the whole earth, across the Mediterranean. We've seen him arrested because people don't like what he says, particularly the Jews. They don't like him talking about Jesus and claiming that Jesus rose from the dead. And we see Paul not go through one, two, three, four, but five trials throughout the, the, kind of the Jewish system and then throughout the Roman system because he's claiming that Jesus is the promised king. He's proclaiming that Jesus rose from the dead. And then at the last moment in this final kind of trial, he cries out, I'm a Roman citizen and I want to go to Caesar. And, and every Roman citizen has the right to be able to go before the king of well, the world. The Caesar, the emperor, was the greatest ruler of all. And so chapter 27 then outlines Paul's journey to Rome. And it's not really a journey about saving Paul. But it's a journey of proclaiming Jesus to the emperor of the known world. And it's a shocker of a journey. If you read through chapter 27 later, it's, it's a horrible journey. In our family, when we have a shocker of a journey, journey it's usually involved vomit, uh, a car seat, holidays, and a long cleanup process. Right? And you're like, ah, oh. I remember one trip going to Wellington. We got a few kind of hours in and uh, there'd been some cheese eating earlier. And let's just say it was not pretty. You know, and then there's the smell that follows you on the way, and you're like, oh, I just want to get this smell out, and everyone's got the windows down, and it's not good. But that's nothing compared to what happened to Paul. He's, he's caught uh, in this storm that is the mother of all storms. Uh, for 14 days, they didn't see the sun or the stars at all. That's the kind of length this storm is going on for. And if you're from London, I probably feel normal to you. Haven't really seen much of the sun uh, at all over there. But this is not normal in the Mediterranean here. This is a shocker of a storm. Now, what's much worse is that they go, this is, this is going to kill us. They start throwing all the cargo overboard, the whole reason they were there. And Paul's on this ship. 270 plus people are there with him. And they're thinking, we're finished. We're done. It's not the smell of vomit, but the smell of death that's in their nostrils at this point. But while they're being carried along by the winds and the storm... Luke writes to show us that it was ultimately the hand of, hand of God that was bringing them to the place he wanted them. Uh, that saw Paul and Luke, who was with him, bring about God's purposes. Don't ever think anything happens by accident. God has a plan and he's bringing about that plan. Now, we don't take what happens as guidance that we should necessarily do something. An open door doesn't mean we need to walk through it. But we know that God guides everything that happens and his plans and purposes happen for his reason. God tells Paul through an angel and he's on the ship that the ship will be lost, but the lives will be saved. And Paul responds how we ought to respond to the word of God in faith. That really is the definition of faith. He takes God at his word. He believes what God says will happen, will happen. And he acts in response to that. And that is what we do as Christians today, is it not? We hear the word of God. We hear what he has said about the future, that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus is the king, that he would judge the living and the dead. And we respond to that word by trusting the forgiveness that he's offered. God's plan to see the news of Jesus go from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth is now on its way to the center of the known world, to Rome. But God shipwrecks Paul, the 276 people, on this tiny island of Malta. Now, Malta, if you know where it is, you're doing well. Uh, if you think of Italy, here's a picture. You've got the big boot of Italy, and that goes down to the soccer ball of Sicily. Uh, and then you've got this little bit of mud hanging off the soccer ball. It's kicked up. That's Malta. 
On the next slide shows you that little one just down there. That's where they get shipwrecked, this real place. But what we see is that God isn't just concerned about the big empires of the world, but the tiny islands as well. His heart was that the people on this island would hear the news of Jesus and be saved. And what we see is that when God comes to town, when the news of Jesus comes to town, lives are transformed. As they arrive on this island of Malta, it wasn't a kind of smooth sailing arrival. The ship broke up because of the storm. They were excited to see land. Uh, They then jumped out. God held them and they swam ashore. And as they arrive on shore, they find these Maltese people love their neighbors, but not the God who made them. Have a look, 28 verse 1. Once safely ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. I I don't know if you've ever met Maltese people or people from the Mediterranean, but there is something like that. My old boss is Maltese. And it's always friendly and like, ah, so great to see you. You see a Maltese person, they kiss you on the cheeks. You're like, whoa, that's really friendly. I can imagine that's what they were doing. Oh, Apollo, you know, hey, this is kind of what it was. They're excited about meeting these people. They lit a fire and took us all in, all 276 of them, since it was raining and cold. These people are incredibly kind, but they're also full of superstition. Look at verse 3. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood, so he was helping out, didn't just sit back, (laughs) just came off a boat, but I'll help. He put it on the fire. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. You can kind of imagine it. You're like, ah, what is this? There's a snake there. When the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man, no doubt, is a murderer. Even though he escaped the seas, justice has not allowed him to live. Now, you've got to understand, justice is not just a concept for these people, but a god they worshipped. Her name was Themis. Themis. She was the god of retribution. And if you got dealt a bad hand in life, that was the god of justice punishing you for what you'd done. And if you got good things happen to you in life, that was her job to make sure you got what you deserved. And so when they see Paul coming through a shipwreck and being saved, they think, well, maybe that was a good thing. But then the snake jumping on, oh, that's definitely the God of justice saying you're a murderer. It was obviously very clear, this superstitious thinking that they had. And you know what? They got it half right. Paul was a murderer. Paul was someone who was putting Christians to death because they rebelled against, well, really what he thought Judaism was all about. In his past, he was the Jew of Jews and he did all he could to oppress those who had different views of him. But Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 15, God chose him the worst of sinners to show that no one is too far gone for God's forgiveness. Look at 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst of them. But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Do you see that? I used to work with someone uh, in one of my first workplaces who wouldn't come to my wedding because she was afraid to walk into a church building. I asked her, like, what's the problem? Like, what is it about this church building? Like, I'd love you to be there. It'd be great. She's like, look, nothing against you. Love you guys. You and Sarah, it's great. But I'm afraid if I walk into a church building that the whole thing will collapse on my head because I haven't treated God rightly. I'm like, you're serious? That's honestly what? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. See, she had recognized what so many of us fail to recognize. When it comes to God, we've all made an enemy of him. But she was treating God like the Roman goddess of justice. 
She'd recognized God as just, and he is, but she'd missed his mercy shown in Jesus. God's mercy, not giving us what we do deserve for those who trust in him, the forgiveness that is on offer. And she'd gone, no, no, I just see him as this one who will punish me, which is half right. And if she doesn't come to trust Jesus, which is what I tried to explain, then she'll always be under his judgment. And that's why this gospel message that Paul was taking out, that we have today, is so important, isn't it? It transforms lives. It means that our relationship with God can be one of peace rather than war. One of forgiveness rather than justice and judgment. The gospel transforms lives. Jesus transforms lives. But what happens in verse 5 in Malta? Paul shook the snake off into the fire. If only Eve had done that, right? Would have been way better. (laughs) He shook the snake off into the fire and he suffered no harm. They expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But after they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds, literally repented and said, he's a god. (laughs) Paul goes from a murderer to a god, while the Maltese go from one era to another. Uh, And they kind of, that's often the problem with these sorts of things. People get the wrong idea from them. And these superstitious people now want to worship Paul for this amazing thing that's gone on rather than recognizing the God who is behind Paul. And that's often the problem with miracles. When these things happen, people come to see a magic show. They come to make their life better, whether it's the the prophets who had told the future in Acts 16 or, or Peter and John who healed a lame man in Acts 3. People want the gift rather than the giver. They want the power to temporarily heal or to be healed rather than relationship with the healer. See, miracles, they're not about making us immortal, but pointing us to someone who is. They're pointing us to the God who is immortal and who is in control of everything. Again, here the Maltese are amazed by the miracles and they worship Paul rather than the God who worked through him. But it doesn't stop there. Look what happens in verse 7. Now in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island called Publis, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publis's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and praying, laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. What's the point of the healings that are happening here at the end of the book of Acts? Well, it's an inbreaking of the one who is in control over all things. What have we seen? That the wind and the waves can't stop the gospel going out. Satanic forces of people kind of trying to pull down what Paul is doing and proclaiming the gospel and saying, no, shut up about the resurrection. Can't kind of pull this gospel back. Sickness and death will not pull this gospel back. We have a taster here of what Jesus will bring when he returns. No more sickness, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And don't you long for that? Don't you long for the day when things are put right? When there is no more evil in the world, there is no more rebellion in my life, in my heart or yours. It's a taster of what Jesus will bring when he returns and a clear picture to come to the God who heals. It's probably why Paul prays as he heals recognizing to everyone around him that it's the God who does this, not him. He's about to go to Rome. He's about to meet the most powerful person on the face of the planet, Caesar. Luke wants us to see in this whole 
this whole narrative, who the real powerful one is. He wants us to see who the real king is. See, the emperor, Caesar Nero, never makes it onto the pages of history in the book of Acts. But Jesus is front and center. The Gospels keep holding out who he is and what he has done. And, you know, we even see here the leading man on the island of Malta, this little island, but the leading man can't do anything to help his dad. But the God of the universe can. And he heals him. The one who represents the real king. Paul shows the power of his king, Jesus, by the miracles that he did, pointing us all to the reality that Jesus is alive and well, ascended to the right hand of the Father, as Lord over all, reigning from there until he comes back to judge the living and the dead. Well, after three months, they set sail and arrive in Rome. It's the second half of our story today, if you're taking notes. About halfway down. Paul in Rome. They arrive in Rome, finally. And when we get here, what we see is that Jesus' words that Paul must go before Caesar and testify before him who the real king is, are not just a command, but a promise. It doesn't matter if natural or satanic forces come through. They can't stop the gospel from getting to Rome. Nothing can stop the power of God. It's worth remembering that. So often we think, oh, what is going on here? It feels like so much around us is trying to take away from this news of Jesus going out. And it's, there's, there's so much sickness. There's so much closeness to people wanting to hear about Jesus. So many things distracting us. Can God really do it? Ever find yourself thinking that? Will he really come through? Will he really see more and more people come to know him? Well, look what happens to God's promises. We, not, might be, we might not be called to go before the greatest ruler in the known world. But we are called to give a reason for the hope we have. 1 Peter 3.14, Peter says this, Even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Friends, we aren't called to fit in to the world around us. But to live as aliens and strangers here, this is not our home. This is not our home. This world and its culture and its ways are not what we are to conform to. We are Jesus' people if you trust in him. He is the real king. And if he's our king, then we need to live that way. In a workplace, amongst our family. As if he is the one who is coming back to judge the living and the dead. Now for many of us, I know that living that way is hard. It's terrifying. The idea of testifying to family and friends and sharing who Jesus is with them is, is huge because we've felt the fire. We've borne the cost. Imagine what Paul was thinking. I'm going to my death to tell the king of the known world he's not the king. There's a greater king and he needs to repent and trust him. Paul knows what it feels like. Jesus knows and is there with us. And as we speak to our friends and family and neighbors... It's worth it, isn't it? It's worth it. It's so tempting to think that the world around us is, is kind of just calm and neutral. You know, it's so tempting to think, look, I'm just going to fit in around us. I don't want to rock the boat. Uh, there might be a storm going on. It's kind of looking a little bit calm here. I just want to sit here. I want to stay on the boat. I want to stick with the most number of people. And I, but what we don't realize is that we are in the eye of the storm. It feels like the world's at peace, but we're in the eye of the storm. I heard that in 1974, Richard Branson, the guy who runs Virgin, 
1974, I think it was close to his honeymoon with his first wife, decided to go on a fishing trip. Uh, there was bad weather around, but it was a kind of a key marlin catching area, and Richard Branson style kind of went up, we're going to go anyway. So he convinced the skipper of the boat and a couple of, uh, another family to come, and they went out uh, just a few miles off the coast. Anyway, the storm came through, and there was massive, massive waves, similar to Paul's, I'd imagine. They're two miles offshore, massive waves, things are going bad, and then everything went quiet. He tells in his autobiography, uh, that he wanted to sit there and be tight, just, just thinking it's over. You know, the storm's gone through, we'll just drift for a while. But his wife said, no, we're in the eye of the storm. What we need to do is jump off the boat and swim. Now, that point, I'd be like, are you serious? Big boat? <laughs> I'd kind of stick here. She's like, it's going to break up. It only just survived this half, it won't survive the other half. So apparently, and this is a true story, they jump off, holding on to a, a kind of thing of, of wood, and try and swim ashore. Uh, the storm comes, massive waves, they eventually make it. But here's the thing, the boat and the people on the boat have never been found since. Friends, we're in the eye of the storm. And the temptation for us is to sit still and think this is normal and we just need to fit in. When Paul and the apostles and Jesus are saying, swim. Jump out of the seeming safety you have and proclaim the news of Jesus. Yes, it will be rough. Yes, it will be hard. But cling to him. Speak of him. Speak of the one who was nailed to a piece of wood so that we could have life. Our only hope is to jettison the things of this world, that this world holds as so central and secure, and cling to the one who was nailed to that piece of wood for us. Whereas what we see throughout the book of Acts is that Jesus is king. He is the one who rules. The promises and plans that he said would happen have happened and are still happening today. And he's given us this moment called life for you and me right here now in Auckland to live wholly and fully for him. Look what Paul does. As he arrives, God organizes it so he can kind of have space to speak the gospel here in the center of the universe in Rome at that point. And so verse 23, from dawn to dusk, what does he do? He expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. There is a king and his name is Jesus. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. He used everything he had and every opportunity that he had to point people to Jesus, wherever he was in no matter what situation he is in. My friends, that's what we're called to, isn't it? In the different opportunities we have in our workplaces, in our families, with the, the options God puts in front of us, whether we're in prison or whether that, if the prison is the workplace or whether, you know, whatever the hardships are, we have the opportunity to testify about the King who is God, who has come and died in our place, who's offered us forgiveness, and who's coming back again to judge the living and the dead and to show people from the Word of God that what God says will happen. But Luke wants us to note the response of the people. Chapter 28, verse 24. Some were persuaded by what Paul said, but others did not believe. God's word always does its work. For some, the light of the gospel is like the rays of the morning sun that drives away the darkness. You know that you get up sometimes and the sun comes out and kind of... It's around 7, 6.30 at the moment and the sun comes over and it's just warm on your skin and you're like, oh, I love the light. 
For some, that's what it's like, hearing the news of Jesus, where he, where he shows that we are broken, that we are sinful, and that we need his forgiveness, and he's given us that. There's this great warmth that fills us, that God has shown us his love. And we set our eyes on the light, the true king, and we live for him. That's how so many of us have responded to this message that's gone out, and God transforms us and changes us from people who worship ourselves to sons and daughters of the true and living God. But for others... The light of the gospel shows up our flaws. And that might be you here this morning. As you hear what Jesus is like and you hear the call that he is the king, you're like, I don't like that. I don't want anyone else to be king. I like being a king. And so we, we scurry away like cockroaches hiding in the dark, hiding in the shallow, shadows, loving what we're doing and wanting to dwell in the darkness because that's what we want because we've not seen the brightness of the gospel. Friends, let me encourage you. If you are here today thinking about, wow, I'm not sure if I like the light God shines on my life. I want to encourage you to run to him for he has offered you forgiveness. Take this opportunity today. See the way God's word has worked and so many have come to trust Jesus and will live forever. Don't sit on the sideline. And if you have trusted Jesus, let me encourage you, do not give up. Don't give up. The gospel has not failed because our friends and family have failed to embrace its light. That's not a problem with the message. It's a problem with people saying, I don't think it's true. And the truth will be shown. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord at the end. Paul does everything in his power, uses everything at his disposal, uses every opportunity he has to live for his king and show the way to the kingdom. And that is what we are called to do who trust in Jesus with the opportunities we have in our hands. But he also know the words that Isaiah the prophet said is the same word that, that Jesus quoted to the Pharisees who wanted him killed. Look at verse 25. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors, he's speaking to the Jews here, through the prophet Isaiah, when he said, Go to these people and say you will always be listening, but never understanding. You will always be looking, but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing. They have shut their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And I want to plead with all of you today, do not shut your hearts and eyes and ears to this word, to the word of the gospel. Do not think that we can just drift into fitting in with the world around us. Do not let your hearts become callous, crusty and hard, impenetrable, unwilling to listen. Do not be like the Jews were and reject Jesus, but come and hear who he is and what he's done. Jesus' message is simple and true. He died so you don't have to. He is king, so we can stop pretending to be. In verse 30, we read that Paul stayed two whole years here in Rome. God allowed him to speak the gospel for this time. He welcomed all who visited him. And look what he's doing in verse 31. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, and without hindrance. As we think through the whole story of the book of Acts, the whole story of human history, 
could be summarized in these words, couldn't it? Jesus is king. He is king. He is one who has come and died and risen again. And what Paul is saying, quoting that part from Isaiah, is that if you shut the word of God out from your life, you're shutting God out and the only life that he offers. But if you listen, if you let his words and plans and promises shape your life, if you, let, if you live for him, then you are part of his kingdom. A kingdom that doesn't end. Your sins are wiped clean. Your future will go on forever. I need to be reminded, friends, not to get complacent sitting in the eye of the storm. I need to be reminded not to cling to things that will not weather the storm, that will not last. But look to my king who has died and risen. The ways of this world, the idols we live for, the baggage we carry. What did Jesus say? Store your treasure in heaven. You know, church history tells us that the Apostle Paul most probably died at the hands of the Emperor Nero. Uh, no doubt testifying that Nero was not the true king. <laughs> there was another king, a greater king, whose kingdom will not end. Friends, we're not called to testify to the rulers of the world, each of us individually, but we are called to live in this world for Jesus. Paul's life is not over, it's only just begun. He is with Jesus now and will come back as Jesus comes back to live forever. God might bury his messengers for now, but he never buries his message. He's still preaching today. This word is still going out today. So let me ask you, how will you continue to live for Jesus this week? This year? The year to come? The better year, God willing? How will the reality that Jesus is king shape what you pray for? What things you're coming to the Father who is in control of all things about? How will Jesus being king shape your priorities and what you live for? What you hold on to? What things you throw overboard? We need to consider today, what am I holding on to at the expense of fully living for Jesus? Where am I finding my comfort, my security in the eye of the storm, rather than trusting the one who has weathered the storm for me? I want to encourage us that our only security, our only hope, our only purpose is Jesus. As we, as a church, think through our 2030 vision, those four big things we're asking God to do, not for our glory, but for His to grow us to be a church of 2,030 people by the year 2030. I mean, we'd love to see everyone in Auckland Christians by the year 2030. We thought that's a great start. As we think through training up 30 full-time gospel workers to be able to go out and proclaim this news of Jesus to the world around us. As we talk about planting four more campuses in Auckland and four more churches across the country. And as we talk through a gospel training hub, I want to encourage you, for the sake of the kingdom to be praying for that vision. To be thinking, yes, that's what we've committed to as a church. That's what we're signed up for, is to see this news of Jesus go out and to think through, how can I be doing that in my workplace? How can I be meeting with people uh, where you know, I might say to someone at work, hey, can we catch up and read the Bible? In the new year, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark and maybe you could think through, why don't we just catch up once a week and read the Gospel of Mark together? 
Be thinking about how you can be using your, your finances for the spread of the kingdom. Only with what God's given you, never more than he's given us. But how can I be partnering there financially? How can I be thinking about what I can be serving in in church, stepping up to think through being trained as a connect group leader, as a kids' church leader, thinking through the opportunities I have at work to share the news of Jesus, or in school, or in my education facility, or wherever I am with my family, to go, I'm actually going to order my life not for my comfort, but for the spread of the kingdom. As I've reflected on the book of Acts as a whole, it's convicted me that I just don't pray enough in line with God's plans and purposes. There's plenty that I do, but I don't bring it to Him. I get so easily sidetracked. I want to encourage all of us, as I get encouraged myself, to keep looking to Jesus. To see over and over and over again how great He is. To keep being captivated by who He is and what He's done and to share that with everyone around us fearlessly. Oh, it will hurt. It will be hard. But it will be worth it. Well, friends, as we think through going out from this point, as we look at the gospel being shared from here for us in Auckland through that 2030 vision, through the the missionaries we're praying for and supporting, I want to encourage you this Christmas to make a stand for Jesus, to be bold prayerfully, to use those cards and opportunities to invite people along. You know, I think I've seen about eight or nine people sign up for our holiday kids club that have never been to church. But will now get to hear about Jesus. Invite people along. Take these opportunities. Invite people to explaining Christianity. Invite them to Christmas. Invite them to the summer series. Speak of him. I'm always encouraged by the words of Jim Elliot. I just can't get them out of my head. He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. No matter what happens throughout this life, whether it be the forces of nature, sickness and death, uh, the rebellion of others around us, we see through Acts that God is in control of his plans and purposes. And he leaves us with this word in Acts 28, 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, to the nations, They will listen. Did you hear that? They will listen. God sends us out from the book of Acts with the big to be continued. The world around will listen. Not everyone, not every time, but the nations will listen. You're evidence of that right now, as am I. So go. Trusting the word of God that Jesus is king. And know that amongst your family, your workplace, your friends, your country, your culture. That this salvation of God has been sent to the nations. And they will listen. Let's pray. Lord God, thanks so much for your word. For the example of Paul, for the way he trusted you, for the way you worked through him. To proclaim to the world that Jesus is king. We confess that so often we live with ourselves as king, not you. We, we slip into a comfort and a security. We forget what really matters. We forget how much we need you. We forget how great a mission it is to be able to serve you in every area of life. So today we ask you would put Jesus front and center again in our lives.
that you would help us to think through how we might continue to serve you and to find joy in doing that, in living for you in this eye of the storm. So, Father God, we ask you would send us out as a church, as individuals and as, as, as a local body for your glory in this city, across this country and to the ends of the earth, that Jesus' name might be held high and people might be trusting him on that last day. We pray this in his great name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.